So we have been in a series all about learning how to pray the, uh, the best teacher himself, Jesus. We've been following what we traditionally call the Lord's Prayer within the church, and specifically the six movements that can be identified within the Lord's Prayer. We're in the fourth movement this week, and it's all about bread. So if you didn't eat this morning, you got some bread coming for you, okay? Um, so the first, the first ones have been, uh, we have a little slide that we can pull up there. That would be great. Nope. Okay, cool. So uh, the different movements of the Lord's Prayer are, first, our Father, and that is contemplation, where we remember who God is. It's up. Nice. Okay. Our Father in heaven. Our Father, we recognize God as our Father. We are his children. We're not praying to some like removed, remote deity up in the sky, but our Heavenly Father who loves us and knows our needs. Second movement was his name be honored as holy. Not our name, not our reputation as being the primary thing in our lives, but his name, his reputation, living for the honor and glory of his name. That was particularly challenging to me. If, amen, right? Uh, your kingdom come. Last week, we looked at what it means to prefer God's kingdom to our own, prefer God's will to our own, to surrender our own preferences, our own agendas in favor of God's. We looked at Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross saying, not my will, but yours be done. So even Jesus petitioned God for something that he wanted to have happen and knew that that wasn't the way it was going to go and said, Lord, your will, not mine. And so this week we're moving into give us our daily bread. So we're transitioning, as Ryan mentioned a couple weeks ago, from the focus of the prayer being God and his kingdom to our daily needs. So we're going to read the Lord's Prayer this morning out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. We've been uh, going through Matthew chapter 6, where it's recorded slightly differently. But if you want to join me in standing, we're going to read through the whole thing together. Starting from Luke chapter 11, verse 1. He, being Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we know that it is your name that we desire to honor this morning and not our own. We want your kingdom to come and not our own, and we want your will to be done and not our own. So for those of us who walked in here this morning needing that correction, as I know I did, Lord, would you be the one who's magnified this morning? And as we learn what it means to bring our every need to you, our simplest, most mundane needs, that we need them shaped by you, but also that we can be so honest with you about what we want, what we need, and know that you are listening, and you'll never ignore us. Lord, we, would we be honest about our needs with you right now, 
and enable us to hear from your Holy Spirit. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So, I don't know if you'd notice, but I definitely noticed there's a very jarring switch in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. And Ryan mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but we go from praying for things that are focused on God and His will and His name to things that are focused on us and our needs. So it's kind of like really drastic. We learned all last week about what it means for God's kingdom to come, and we pray, may the kingdom of heaven invade and subvert the power structures of this world so that injustice ceases to exist and God reigns on the throne and all of the kingdoms of the world bow their knee and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? Amen. And can we have that with a side of bread? <laughs> Like, that's how it feels. Like, we're going from this big, amazing prayers that span the universe itself, and then we're like, oh, and um, yeah, never-ending breadsticks from Olive Garden would be really nice right now, right there on the table. It's kind of jarring. Um, even, like, we sing songs that are based on the Lord's Prayer. We sang one last week. We sang one this week. Uh, songs that incorporate the Lord's Prayer tend to leave out the prayer for bread, like we, we've been singing as a lullaby with our youngest, the Our Father in heaven. It's a great Lord's Prayer. And then we get to the end, and it goes, Yours is the kingdom. And I'm like, wait a minute, where, where's the prayer for bread? And so we always finish it, and we go, Give us our daily bread. There's no like good songs that incorporate bread. Is it like, is it weird to sing about bread or something? We actually, our family, so we come from a Jewish background. We're Jewish believers in Jesus. So actually before every meal, we sing a prayer in Hebrew that is like a pretty nice melody that says bread in Hebrew. And those of you guys who have had meals with us, you know, it goes, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam HaMotzi Lechem. Lechem is the word for bread. Lechem min ha'aretz. Together. Amen. Everyone who's had a meal with us before, you know what's up, all right? So we sing that song, and it's like, it's not that weird to sing about bread, but it's a focus point where we recognize that even the things that, it's not just about bread. We don't only sing it when we're eating bread. If we're eating pasta or steak or whatever, we sing it too, because it's recognizing that this provision, the thing that sits on the table, didn't actually come into existence through our like manifestation of it. We didn't like manifest the bread on our table. We didn't even farm the wheat that was ground into flour to make the bread on our table. It came from somewhere else, some other provision that got us in the grocery store. We went and picked it up or we made it ourselves in the oven. It didn't come from us. It's recognizing that our daily provision doesn't come from us. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Ryan talked about how we often skip the first part of the Lord's Prayer about thanking and honoring God for who he is, and we just jump to the part about our own needs. And I know I needed that refocusing. But in the context of praying for such big things, your kingdom come, your will be done, it almost seems like silly to refocus the prayer on us and our daily needs, because we're going from like the meta to the mundane. We're going from the universal to the particular. If any of you have ever like been driving in the car before and you're like praying and stuff and you need to find a parking spot and you're just like, does God really care about those things? 
And there was one time where we were like driving in the car, we need to find a parking spot, and our daughter, I think it might have been our daughter, yeah. Our daughter Nora, who's 11 now, when she was younger, she was like, well, let's just pray. And we prayed, and we found a parking spot. And it was just this simple reminder to me that like God actually does care about those things. So not only does he care about you finding parking spots in Los Angeles, then yes and amen, but he also cares about what you put on your table in front of you every day. And this is not just about the food that we eat. It's about our everyday needs. Every single thing that you need on a daily basis is something that God deeply cares about. And I think that give us this day our daily bread is possibly the most countercultural thing for 21st century Angelinos to pray. I think it might be. As I was studying for these past couple weeks, I just, I got this sense that like the Lord's Prayer is an incredibly subversive, countercultural prayer in and of itself. And we've been learning about that in many ways over these past few weeks. But this one specifically stuck out to me. And I think partially it's because we have a very different relationship with food in our culture than most other societies throughout history. Nearly 100% of the people in this room know exactly where our next meal is going to come from. And we're not in the least bit worried about how we're gonna go about getting it. Because like our society, modern day, we have technological advances like preservatives and refrigeration and these things that have enabled our culture, our society, to stockpile food and create a sense of security about meeting our own needs. You just like walk into Costco and you're just like, wow, I will never go hungry again. Like it's just this insane like aisles and aisles which are like altars of our own like self-sufficiency within our culture. In Jesus' time, this prayer for daily bread came as a correction to their society's anxiety about scarcity, right? They didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. So praying, give us our daily bread, was a recognition that God was going to provide it and they didn't have to worry about where it was going to come from. In our day, give us our daily bread is a correction to the anxiety that comes from abundance. So abundance which we're all going to celebrate in just a couple weeks at Thanksgiving, it theoretically, it should lead us to more and more gratitude, right? That's what we tell ourselves when we're surrounded by plates of turkey or whatever it is that you eat at Thanksgiving. We're going to eat brisket. But we don't like turkey. I don't know. But we sit around with plates just filled with food, and we should be grateful. It should lead us to expressing gratitude, but it actually puts on display our lack of trust in anyone but ourselves. As Mark Sayers puts it, in a society with this much abundance, another type of anxiety creeps through the back door, and that's choice anxiety. We have so many options. Like, it shouldn't be that hard to decide where to go to lunch with your friends after church, but you're just like, where do you want to go? I don't know. We could go here. No, I went there last week. Uh, I want to go to, uh, where, how many places can we get tacos? There are like seven places on the street with tacos. And it's like, it's like a silly example because we're not like anxious about where we're going to go get tacos. But we have way too many options. And when it comes to other needs in our daily lives, like where are we going to go to college? What major am I going to pick? What job am I going to pick? Which significant other of the people that I've dated? Which one? 
all of these things, these options, these choices produce a sense of anxiety because we have so much of a surplus of freedom within our society that we're devoid of meaning and community. And when those things are overflowing, it, it, it's kind of out of balance. And so we have way too much abundance, we have way too many choices, and it creates this latent sense of anxiety within us. A pastor in Portland, Tyler Staten, he says this, we are a generation of people doing exactly what we want with our lives, channeling our energy freely into chosen pursuits for global good, and yet we are completely overwhelmed, utterly exhausted, and chronically anxious. Those are the symptoms of a good desire out of order. Our society's relationship with food in particular looks almost obsessive if you look at it from like an outside perspective, because our attempts to create abundance lead to overindulgence. And we almost worship food. Like you just like sit and you can watch food all day on the Food Network and it being prepared in different ways like, ah, oh, and you're, we're not eating this food. We're just like watching it happen to us or like Great British Bake Off. And you're just like, oh, that looks good. Why are we watching it? It's, it's so entertaining. I love, I watch Great British Bake Off all the time with my wife and I try to imitate the accents and we say like, pudding, custard, custard, right? Paul Hollywood's accent is just fantastic, right? But why are we watching food? Why? We're, we're like worshiping this food. But in societies where scarcity isn't a problem, abundance becomes the problem. God intended our physical needs to propel us into greater trust in him. He, that's how he designed us. <laughs> And if God literally answered our prayers every day the way that we prayed them, most of us would actually be kind of disappointed, right? For those of us who would pray, give us our daily bread, if bread is all you got, you'd be like, where's the sides? Like, <laughs> where's the sauce? What am I supposed to dip this in? Because we, we're used to abundance. And conversely, if God answered every prayer that you prayed, within this last week, would you be disappointed because you didn't actually ask what you, for what you needed or what you wanted and surrendered and actually given those desires to God and say, I really do want this. Like, that's it? So let's just go through this prayer that Jesus asks us to pray and just see how each one of these words kind of subverts and is a countercultural, has a countercultural effect on our society's reliance on our own abundance. So Luke 11, verse 3, says, Give us each day our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. This first word, this first command or ask us petition from God, give us, immediately puts into focus that we are not earning anything in this relationship. This is all grace. When we come to God, we would rather come in a position of control where what we have done up to this point in the relationship merits whatever we would get from him. We would love that our lives would be going such a way where we can come to God and say, well, I think I've done a pretty good job up until this point, I've done all nice things. I've been really nice. I've you know, kept my finances in order. I actually even give quite a bit to charities and to my local church. 
And uh, I didn't, you know, flip that guy off in traffic yesterday, even though I really, really wanted to. So, could you please give me X, Y, and Z? But what we really are doing in that sense is relying on our own self-sufficiency to an even greater degree than we realize. So when we come to God and ask for our daily bread, most of us kind of do it tongue-in-cheek because we know we can get it anyway. Author David Benner says this, most of us so excel at ensuring our own ongoing supply of life's provisions that we find the idea of having to come back for daily bread offensive. But God invites us to abandon our neurotic displays of self-sufficiency. Oops. <laughs> he invites us to surrender our stolen independence and exchange it for willingly accepted dependence. Just leave that one up there for a bit. Get out your phone, snap a picture of that, put that as the wallpaper on your phone for just a week and see how your relationship with this prayer changes. This one just like turned the knife within me as I was reading it. And I, I've read it before, but just in preparing for this, I was just like, oh my goodness. My week, the way that I go about my day, organizing everything, meal prep, whatever it is, just is completely neurotic. It demonstrates a complete lack of trust. And for those of us who are Christians in this room, we say that we trust God for our daily needs, and yet we go about so many different ways to try to organize our lives so that we are the ones in control. We don't get to experience the ways that God desires to meet our needs when we're preoccupied with meeting them ourselves. Now, this is not about being irresponsible or unwise with the resources that we have. This is not about, you know, like, just give away everything, and then every single day you walk about and say, like, well, what am I going to eat today? God, what do you think? Oh, there's some bread. Like, he's not going to just make it miraculously appear. Now, God, does God give miraculous provision for our basic necessities today? Yes, absolutely. Just a few weeks ago, my family and I were, were kind of like down in the dumps, a little bit devastated about the news of what's going on in Israel and in Gaza, and we're just like reading our social media feeds, and we're just like, I don't even feel like doing anything today. We were like bummed out, and we're like, okay, and we have to make dinner for the kids. And then my wife gets a text from our good friend Maddie Davis and says, I'm going to bring you guys dinner tonight. We didn't ask for that. We didn't even know we needed that. But in that moment, it felt like such a sweet relief, like God actually saw us and said, I, I've got you. And so he provided for us through our friend. And just two weeks ago, uh, my son and I both had COVID, and we were just like taken out. Like, it's still going around, you guys. <laughs> it's still out there. And I was down for the count, and my wife was taking care of the other kids and doing all of the things. And we were just kind of worn down. And then sweet Aaron Smith texts and says, I'm going to bring you guys dinner tonight. And we're just like, again, didn't know we needed it, didn't ask for it. And then in that moment, God decides to provide for us just through our sweet friend. And this is often how he does provide for our daily bread, if we would just trust him. We didn't even know we needed it, but God did. And I'm sure many of you sitting here in this room have similar stories 
of times that God has provided for you out of nowhere, and you weren't even asking for it. But since then, we've kind of like forgotten or like rationalized it as something that God isn't interested in doing on a regular basis. Now, should our expectation be that God will miraculously provide our basic necessities every single day in that way? Yes and no. In one sense, he already has. The way that he provides is often through the things that we wouldn't necessarily classify as miraculous, even though they are miracles. The fact that we are breathing is a miracle, but we don't pray for oxygen, do we? Not every single breath. But one of my mentors uh, said over and over again until I wouldn't forget it, we, um, he says, we don't pay the oxygen bill <laughs> in our lives. Just remembering that God's, God is the giver of breath refocuses our attention on the fact that every day, every meal, every breath is a gift from God. And Martin Luther actually commented on the way that God answers our prayer for daily bread through prosperous societies. So contrasting with a society where the poor and the marginalized don't have enough, in a society where we know where our next meal is going to come from, God is actually answering our prayer for daily bread through the organization of society itself. But he says in societies which don't have the daily bread provided for the poor and the marginalized and the needy, give us our daily bread is a prayer of justice. It's not on the screen, but Luther writes, let those who do injustice beware of the intercession of the church and let them take care that this petition of the Lord's prayer does not turn against them. Right? God provides in so many different ways, sometimes miraculous, sometimes through society at large. So we pray, give us our daily bread because we know that we are not in control and that he is and that every breath, every meal, everything is a gift. Even the, the tense of this verb, give, is actually like keep on giving us, perpetually give us our daily bread because we experience his grace in a perpetual way. So secondly, it's not just give me my daily bread, it's give us our daily bread. Our prayer focuses our attention on the needs, not just of ourselves, but of the community. Not just our own biological needs, but of the physiological, biological needs of our community at large. Even in the beginning of the prayer, before Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray, in verse two, he says, when you pray, the, the pronoun is actually second person plural. It's like, when y'all pray, pray this way. The Lord's prayer isn't just me in my closet. It's us together praying, give us our daily bread. We're talking about corporate prayer first. Plug for prayer night tonight, 5 p.m. Corporate prayer first. Individual prayer second. How would our prayer for our daily needs change if we moved from give me to give us, what would we be praying for? Would it change our daily prayer? Next, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus focuses us on this day, the present, the time that you're living in right now, whatever you need for today. 
God, when he created the world, organized the world into units of time. We have weeks, right, that are a series of seven days that are ended by the Sabbath, which is the day that God rested. But these 24-hour units of time from sunrise to sunset is the way that God chose for us to live our lives. When we live in the present, we live based on our daily needs <coughs> being met by God. And when we get anxious, anxiety is a feeling and emotion based on the future. It has nothing to do with the present. And regret is an emotion completely based in the past, which you have no control over whatsoever. God invites us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. God wants us to see time in this way and relate to him for his provision on this way because it, it focuses us on a posture of dependence. There's a story in the Old Testament as the Israelites have just been rescued from Egypt. They were guided across the Red Sea, which had been parted by Moses lifting his staff. They get to the other side. The Egyptians are washed away. Their enemies, their, like, their slave owners have been completely wiped away. The people that they were in slavery to for the past 400 years, they celebrate God's provision and salvation, and then they walk into the desert, into the wilderness, towards their new homeland, and then they realize, oh, man, did anyone bring any food with them? <laughs> nope, we were just worried on escaping. Okay, cool. Um, and then they begin to grumble and complain that they don't have what they need for the day. And so God tells Moses, this is what you should expect. Pretty much every single day, I'm going to give you magic food that just sits on the ground every single morning. You're going to do absolutely nothing to produce this bread. Not like, you don't have to like go out and like sow seeds. You don't have to like put out like a special plate for the bread to sit on or anything. I'm just going to make it happen. And then every single day, you go out, you get what you need for the day. And that's what, that's what you're going to eat. If you go out and you try to get more than what you need for that day, it's not going to work out. Moses tells the Israelites, this is what you got to do. They're like, yeah, sure, great. <laughs> Sounds good. They go out there with jars, and they just stuff these jars with this manna, which just literally means what is it, because they didn't know what to call it. It's like, it was like magic honey cake flaky stuff, okay? So this sustenance that they are getting by no means like from themselves, they're stuffing into these jars and they're like, cool, we're good, we're set. Bring it back into their tent. The next day, it's like oozing, rotten, nasty, spoiled, I don't even know like, what to call it anymore. They didn't know what to call it to begin with, and they don't know, definitely don't know what to call it now. And Moses goes, like, I told you guys, God said it was for today, not for tomorrow. God, in his wisdom, was training his people to depend on him for their daily needs in the wilderness. The wilderness, where they were, is where people get desperate because they've exhausted their own resources, and this like completely nonsensical source of nourishment should have given the Israelites all the confidence they need that they are not the ones in control of the means of provision for themselves. 
whether there in the wilderness or after they had reached the promised land. So this little jar of manna actually was preserved even when they were in the promised land and sat inside of the temple in the holiest place to serve as a reminder that God will meet their daily provision so that when they got into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land full of abundance and provision, they would never forget the fact that once they were slaves and they had escaped and they had absolutely nothing, God provided for their daily needs without them doing anything for it. To remind them so that once they could be tempted to believe that their own skill and their own hard work were the reason that they were fed on a daily basis, they could remember that everything was from God, even down to the day. This isn't just about a story about magic bread. As I said, all provision from God is miraculous, whether we know where it comes from or not. C.S. Lewis often said that a miracle is just a natural process sped up. If God, if, if God made the world and every process by which we acquire food today is seen as natural, then a miracle is just that longer miracle that God invented, sped up, concentrated into a smaller process. It's just a rapid, concentrated version of something that God baked into his creation from the beginning. Water turned to wine, it happens every day, right? Wounds, healing, happens every day. Babies conceived every day. All miracles are played out through processes that we now call natural. (laughs) But God can expedite and rewire any of these processes at any rate or manner that he chooses. So if the magic bread story, you're just like, "Ah, I don't know about that. Where'd your bread come from? (laughs) God invented agriculture. There you go. It's a miracle. (laughs) Next, give us this day our daily bread. This focuses in on our needs our needs for the day. So we are praying for food, like I said, but we're also focusing in on whatever is, it can be translated, whatever is needful for us. What we actually need, as opposed to what we think we need. Jesus could have been thinking about a proverb when he was praying this. Proverbs chapter 30, verse eight says, give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who's the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. This is a profoundly realistic and refreshing portrait of human consciousness and sin, right? We don't actually know our needs. We might have way too much, like we often do, and then forget God altogether. We might have too little, and then what happens when human beings have too little? We try to get it in any other way besides depending on God for it. God knows our needs. The book of Genesis tells us that human sin and error entered into the world through a very careless meal. It says that Eve, when she was talking to the serpent, And this tree that God had said was the only tree in the entire garden that they could not eat from. And if you eat from it, you're going to die. It says that when she was assessing whether to listen to God 
or to the serpent, it says, she saw that the tree was good for food. So the first sinful or disobedient act of all of humanity was the result of disagreeing with God's assessment of our needs. In that moment, her assessment is, seems good to me. God told me it's not, I don't know. It's kind of your word versus mine, God. Eve, even that moment, asserting her own independence, her own will to eat food that looked good according to her judgment, propelled humanity into spiritual starvation. So it's so important, as we looked at last week, to pray this prayer, give us our daily bread, in the context of your will be done, not mine. Pastor Ryan invited us to consider our wants, where our agenda needs to be surrendered to God and to have our agenda shaped by God's agenda. When we pray, your will be done, and that means not mine. When we have surrendered our will, when we have surrendered our agenda for our lives, we begin to discover and to distinguish between our wants and our needs. This is often frustrating for us in prayer because we can't. It's hard to delineate between the two. Maybe part of our frustration with prayer has to do with unwillingness to have our prayers shaped by God's agenda rather than our own. We need to be willing to admit that God as our heavenly father knows what we need and we don't. In the book of James, it says, you have not because you ask not, right? So you don't have something because you don't ask for it. But he also says, you have not because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Through our journey in prayer, which is simply the way that we develop our relationship with God, God is training us to ask for the things that reflect his desires for us, his agenda, and not our own. For some of us, our prayers can actually be another way to simply control our circumstances. Praying for things that aren't bad, but the goal is not to grow or to become more of who God wants us to be, but rather to be safe and comfortable. But God cannot and will not be controlled by our prayers. Because his, his delay to acquiesce to our desires is not a failure to answer prayer, right? If we are praying for something that God does not want for us and actually knows would be harmful to us and we don't receive that in prayer, that's his grace. His delay to come through for us on what we're asking him for is often grace disguised not a failure to answer. And we could ask ourselves, do we just not pray for anything at all because our motives are so twisted and we don't know what's what? Absolutely not. Our prayers for immediate desires and needs are essential because our need brings us near to God. Even if we don't understand the big picture and what is best for us in the long term, God wants us to draw near so that our desires can be shaped by him. The very first time my daughter asked me for an iPhone, she was seven. (laughs) 
She's 11 now. Now she knows how this, how this works, right? Her friend in school had an iPhone. She was seven. No judgment, okay? If your seven-year-old has an iPhone, that's cool. Didn't want my kid to have an iPhone at seven years old that was fully functional with calling and internet and all that kind of stuff. So I said no, right? Now, do I love my daughter? Absolutely. Do I love her more or less by not getting her an iPhone? More. Amen. <laughs> more. Now, again, no shade. If your kid is seven, has an iPhone, that's no. fine. It's my, my judgment, all right? I'm the dad. Will she know the benefit of being desi- d- denied her desires? <laughs> no, not at all. Dad. But I will give and I will withhold what I know is best for her because she was not able to make that distinction at the time, or maybe now. And the last thing I would want is for her to keep from me what she really wants. I want her to ask me, right? We don't get to the place where we're asking God for the things that he wants to give us by concealing the things that we want him to give. That's where we start. By the time we get to give us our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer, we have our wants and our needs in focus, shaped by the agenda of God's kingdom rather than our own fleeting desires. And this leads us to a powerful image about the kind of posture that we can have as we petition God. Jesus tells a story immediately following the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke, starting in verse 5. Jesus also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. Now this is Jesus again. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, ouch, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. This is a beautifully comical story that Jesus tells us to illustrate exactly what we are talking about. The manner in which Jesus' disciples are instructed to ask God for their daily bread is shameless boldness, persistent dependence. This laughable scenario where there's this like sleepy, annoyed neighbor and a friendly, like overbearing, obnoxious neighbor with really bad timing. It's just like this crazy scenario. In ancient Near Eastern culture, It was actually unthinkable that the friend who was inside his home would deny this request, right? Like, because they have this honor and shame culture where if someone asks you for it and it's within your means, you do it. Otherwise, you bring shame upon yourself. In our culture, we would be so offended if any of our friends showed up asking for bread at midnight, unless their house was on fire or something like that. If your house is on fire, you can come wake me up in the middle of the night. His excuses in that culture would have been seen as like laughable. But in our culture, if you wake me up in the middle of the night, my kids are already in bed, you are going to die, all right? Like, I, it took me so long to get my son to bed last night. I was just like, 
I'm done. I have no more energy left. Just collapse. So we need to actually reframe this request as something that we would never refuse in our right mind, right? Okay, so your best friend is in town. Their flight got canceled. You know, they, they have like too long of a layover at the airport. So can they please stay with you an extra night? What kind of friend would you be, you know, if you didn't say yes to that? But we've all been this stingy friend <laughs> when it is within our means to provide something and we don't. And what Jesus is saying is like, do you think God is like that? Do you think God is like this stingy friend? Absolutely not. If this stingy friend would, give up, would get up in the middle of the night to give his friend bread, not because they're friends, but just because he's concerned about his own reputation, how much more do you think God is going to give you what you need on a daily basis? This reasonable request, this recognized need, and this real relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father he argues from the lesser to the greater. The friend doesn't acquiesce because of his friendship, but because of shameless boldness. This word that's used nowhere else in the New Testament. And in other Greek culture where it's written down and like the Iliad and other places, it's only used in a negative connotation. Jesus flips it and uses it as a positive thing. The way in which you were supposed to approach God without modesty, without respect for propriety, in other words like a kid, right? Jesus says the kingdom belongs to those who would enter as children, like a nursing child even. If a baby is crying, it's because it knows there's no other source other than mom where its provision can come from. And we don't tell the baby to shut up because it's being annoying. We know that the baby's doing exactly what it should be doing because it's just trusting someone out there is going to provide what I need. There's somewhere, they might be in the next room, but they can hear me faintly. This is death to our self-sufficiency, guys. Help will not come from another place. We teach our kids to say please when we're asking, though, right? And why is there no please in the Lord's Prayer? Please give us this day our daily bread. Why are we not supposed to say please to God? Because we have his ear. He is our heavenly father, and it indicates the closeness of our relationship. We can expect things from him. There's this crazy verse in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, when it's talking about um, praying for Jerusalem and praying for Jerusalem to be restored from this, like, Shat, like it's in shambles and it's just like completely rubble. And it's, it says, I've set watchmen on the walls. And it says, God, to give God no rest until he establishes Jerusalem as a praise in the earth. It actually invites people petitioning God to give him no rest until he does what they're petitioning him to do. Wake him up in the middle of the night. God doesn't slumber or sleep, Psalm 121. God is not asleep at the wheel, but in this figurative way of speaking, he's saying, come to God with shameless boldness, asking for what you need. Now, it is not telling us to try and manipulate God through perpetual asking or that he will answer depending on the number of times that we ask. It's about this posture of dependence. We did a series on prayer several years ago 
called dependence. And Pastor Lorenzo referred to dependence as our default setting. Our default setting as human beings is to depend on our heavenly father. And some of us might need a factory reset, right? <laughs> David Garland, the commentator, says this. Prayer is not a spiritual crowbar or a jackhammer that pries open God's willingness to act, but a means by which Christians open themselves up to God to grasp God's will and be grasped by it. This posture of persistent dependence is confirmed by Jesus' follow-up interpretation to this parable. Let's read that in verse 9. He says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, thanks Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him. This is the promise of our petition. So our posture is dependence. Our prayer is give us our daily bread. And the promise is that everyone who asks receives because of who God is and because of who we are. So first he says, keep on asking. Again, the verb in the Greek is not just ask in this one time and then you're done. It's a perpetual asking. Give us. Ask. Keep on asking God. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Because it does not guarantee immediate results. Paul Miller's fantastic book on prayer, if you haven't read it, highly recommend. It's called The Praying Life. He says this. All of Jesus' prayer, a teaching on prayer in the Gospels, can be summarized with one word, ask. His greatest concern is that our failure or reluctance to ask keeps us distant from God. His primary concern was to get us into the game. In prayer, it is a danger that we jump to petition too quickly. That is true. But it is also petition that gets us into the game. It's our needs, our recognition of our dependence on our Heavenly Father that gets us into the game. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And the promise is that everyone who asks receives. These are guaranteed results, friends. When we pray according to the will of God, we can be confident in his response. We don't necessarily understand how the cause and effect works in prayer. Any of you, any, am I alone in that? We like, when we pray for that, we keep on asking, we keep on seeking, we keep on knocking, knowing that we're praying to our Heavenly Father, that He loves to give us good gifts, that He wants to give us what we need, and we don't see the immediate results, and we're tempted to give up. It's not because God is delaying to respond. 
Jesus says that when we pray, we should believe we received it. He says that if we ask anything in accordance to God's will, he hears us. And when Jesus feeds the 5,000 in in the book John, when he's breaking the bread and he's distributing the fish, he demonstrates this by before even giving out anything that's been given to him to distribute, he gives thanks. Ryan called this just a few minutes ago the, the hack of prayer. Gratitude in recognizing that God will meet our needs is recognizing that he loves to meet the needs of his children. And that the distance between cause and effect in prayer actually demonstrates that it is completely outside of our control. Paul Miller, again, he says, the closer something is to the character of God, the more it reflects him and the less it can be measured. The inability to see the connection between cause and effect in prayer is intrinsic to the nature of prayer because it is the direct activity of God. If we could figure that out, we'd be God. We're not God. The cause and effect link is his activity because he is God and we are not. Finally, we're praying to our Heavenly Father, which leads us very back to the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So the Lord's Prayer goes to give us our daily bread, and we know that he will because he is our Father in heaven. He's not a bad friend who are waking up in the middle of the night. The posture of, of prayer is dependence because our needs are dire, but the motivation of our prayer ought to change from desperation to humble confidence because we know who we're praying to. And you might not have grown up with a dad who would open his arms every time you walk through the door of his office or whatever to see him, but this is the beauty of God. He is worthy of infinitely more reverence, respect, and honor than any father or any authority figure we have ever known, but he is also more available, more loving, and more willing to listen to everything his kids say. Rather than being the annoying knock at the door of our neighbor, prayer can feel like a sacred dinner with an old friend or with our heavenly father. The reason he wants us to ask, even though he knows what we're going to ask for before we ask it is for the sake of relationship. He wants to hear our request because he loves us. It's all about relationship, guys. Not only is he inviting us to pray for our daily needs as far as physical provision, Jesus finishes this story by saying, how much more will your heavenly Father give not just bread, but the Holy Spirit to those who ask. I believe Jesus is commenting on not just our daily needs being bread, but focusing us on the fact that our truest need is God's very presence with us. We were designed to be in the presence of God. Sin has separated us from experiencing his presence on a daily basis. The way that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden is the way that we were supposed to experience God. And now those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, 
for the forgiveness of our sins, have received the Holy Spirit, God's very presence dwelling within us. The sustenance that we need the most on a daily basis is not just physical provision, but it's God's spirit. Christians in this room, do we believe that we need God's spirit more than air, more than food? I don't know. It is always God's will to give us his Holy Spirit. Always. That is a prayer that will never be ignored and never turned down. How do we receive God's spirit on a daily basis? Well, we've been focusing our attention throughout this series on different prayer practices. And if you go to our website, which is collectivechurch.com slash current series, there's just a a little kind of like meditation for every single day. And we've been inviting you to pray either in increments of two minutes per movement, five minutes per movement, or 10 minutes, depending on what you can do within your life situation. For each movement, just add another few minutes to the prayer. So we've gone through uh, the the Lord's Prayer, which is Father, your name, kingdom, and today is bread, which is petition. So how do we receive God's provision on a daily basis. I would invite you to not just add this prayer for our daily needs and refocusing once again after we've prayed your will be done, not ours, and then praying for our daily needs. Not just praying for your daily bread or whatever then, but actually bring back like praying before meals. Those of you who like maybe think that's silly or you think it's like too religious or whatever, just like take a moment before your meal and say, this didn't come from me. This came from my heavenly father who loves me. And if you feel led, this isn't like part of the practices, but you can even incorporate like a weekly fast uh, from food to refocus ourselves on the fact that our regular needs are not solely met by ourselves, but by God himself. And if there's hunger pangs that we're feeling, that it can focus us and refocus us on God. The other way that we can receive God's daily bread is what we're going to do in just a few minutes, which is receiving communion. Jesus called himself the bread from heaven. That God sent his true provision for our needs in the form of his son who came and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin, eliminating the distance and the disconnection that we feel from our Heavenly Father because of our sin. And when we take communion, when we take these elements of bread and juice representing Jesus' body and his blood, we remember that this provision was given for us and that this is our truest need to receive Jesus. Because just as sin entered the world through a carelessly consumed meal, salvation is remembered through this meticulously intentional meal of these elements. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Our need for God is way more fundamental than our physical needs. It might be less than we think we need, but it's more than we deserve. He has promised to give himself as our daily bread, this incredible gift, because he has already given himself Mm -hmm. 
on the cross once and for all. (laughs) Will he not do that? If he did not spare his son as the bread from heaven, won't he give us our daily needs? Let's pray.